brothers. And if you're familiar with the story of Cain and Abel, you know that it is a tragic story. Cain, the older brother, was a worker of the ground. Abel, the younger brother, was a keeper of the sheep. And what we see in Genesis chapter 4 is that both men brought an offering to the Lord. The Lord did not accept Cain's offering, but he did Abel's offering. Cain had the opportunity to do what was right. But he failed to do so. Instead of doing what was right, instead of repenting and seeking to honor the Lord, he became jealous of his brother, and in his jealousy and in his anger, he attacked and killed his brother Abel. The Lord knew what he did. The Lord saw. But the Lord came first, first of all with a question. He said, where is your brother? And Cain responded, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the way he asked this rhetorical question, he gave the impression that he believed the answer to that question was no. He was not his brother's keeper. Sadly, he failed. He sinned against the Lord. He sinned against his brother. He failed miserably. Clearly, the Lord would have had him care for, watch over, and protect his brother. He failed to be his brother's keeper. Our current sermon series is called Together. And during this sermon series, we are taking a closer look at our church membership covenant. We are looking at the covenant that every member signs and agrees to when becoming a member of this particular local church. And we are doing a sermon series based on our membership covenant to help us understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus in the context of a local church. And the subject of our sermon this morning is the part of our covenant which reads, we will care and watch out over each other, and faithfully admonish and plead with one another as the occasion might require. A couple of weeks ago, I shared a definition of the church by Jonathan Lehman that I want to revisit this morning. He wrote, a local church is a group of Christians who regularly gather in Christ's name to officially affirm and oversee one another's membership in Jesus Christ and his kingdom through gospel preaching and gospel ordinances. He says, notice the five parts of this definition. One, it's a group of Christians. Two, a regular gathering. Three, a congregation-wide exercise of affirmation and oversight. Four, the purpose of officially representing Christ and his rule on earth as we gather in his name. And five, the use of preaching and ordinances for these purposes. Well, the focus this morning is on the third part of that definition, namely a congregation-wide exercise of affirmation and oversight. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul was meeting with the elders from the church in Ephesus. And during this meeting, he exhorted the elders to fulfill their responsibility to watch over the church. He said, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, 
which he obtained with his own blood. And so we see here that elders are given this responsibility to care for, to pay attention to, and to watch over the flock. But we also see in Scripture that the work of caring for and watching over the members of the church is not exclusively the responsibility of the elders. In the scriptures we are going to look at this morning, we are going to see that every member plays a role in helping to care for and watch over one another. And we don't mean that in a strange, controlling kind of way. Rather, it is an acknowledgement that we all need help in our walk with Christ. And as members of this church, we are responsible to give help to one another for the sake of our growth in Christ. If you're not a member of this church, we're glad you're here and we hope that you will pursue becoming a member by taking our membership class and following up by meeting with one of the elders. We believe that every Christian should be a member of a faithful, gospel-proclaiming church. If you are a member, then we hope that this sermon series will help you to understand and grow as a faithful follower of Jesus and as a member of this particular local church. And this morning, our primary text comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. I will go ahead and read. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Three questions we'll consider this morning are, what is our responsibility? How do we fulfill our responsibility? And what is the fruit of fulfilling our responsibility? So first of all, what is our responsibility? Well, in verse 11, Paul described leaders as a gift from Christ to the church. He described the leaders in terms of apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherd teachers. The unifying theme or thread among these leadership roles appears to be a particularly strong ability to articulate and apply the gospel. The gospel is central to who we are. As followers of Christ, it's central to who we are as a church, and it is central to our growth in Christ and our unity as a church. And therefore, the leaders whom Christ gives as gifts to the church must be able to articulate, apply, and help others grow in their understanding of the gospel. Now, in regard to this list, there is some debate regarding what Paul meant here by apostles and prophets. And the debate centers on the difference between the official offices of apostle and prophet versus a leader with similar giftings 
to an apostle or prophet. We hold the view that the official offices of apostle and prophet no longer exist today. John Stott writes that the apostles of Christ were a very small and distinctive group, consisting of the twelve, including Matthias, who replaced Judas, Paul, James, the Lord's brother, and possibly one or two others. They were personally chosen and authorized by Jesus and had to be eyewitnesses of the risen Lord. He went on to say, we should not hesitate, therefore, to say, in this sense, there are no apostles today. We agree with this. We also agree with what he wrote when he went on to say, once we have insisted, however, that there are today no apostles of Christ with an authority comparable to that of the apostles Paul, Peter, and John, it is certainly possible to argue that there are people with apostolic ministries of a different kind, including Episcopal jurisdiction, pioneer missionary work, church planting, itinerant leadership, etc., Similarly, in regard to the prophets, he writes, nobody can presume to claim an inspiration comparable to that of the canonical prophets or use their introductory formula, thus says the Lord. If this were possible, we'd have to add their words to Scripture and the whole church would need to listen and obey. But as with the apostles, so with prophets, having first established the uniqueness of the original teachers of the church, we then have to ask, is there a subsidiary gift of some kind it seems right to answer yes. So on the one hand, we would recognize that there were apostles and there were prophets in a way that there are no longer apostles and prophets today. But we would also say but there are leaders with similar giftings whom the Lord uses and whom the Lord gives as gifts to the church for equipping the church to do the work of the ministry. Now, whether Paul was referring in that passage to the official offices of apostles and prophets, or if he was referring to leaders with similar giftings to apostles and prophets is a matter of debate. But it is important for us to understand that whatever the subsidiary of apostolic and prophetic gifts might be, they certainly involve the spirit-backed ministry of the revealed word of God. In addition to apostles and prophets, he spoke of evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Evangelists are those with a particularly strong gift in sharing Christ with those who are not believers. It's not that only a select few people are called to do the work of, the evangel- work of evangelism. We're all called to do the work of evangelism. But the Lord does give particularly strong giftings to some people who are very strong in evangelism. We have one such member who stands out in our church, whose name is Aaron Wartees. He is particularly gifted in the work of evangelism. He is very good at engaging people in these evangelistic conversations, even strangers. The Lord uses him, and he's passionate about this, and he's gifted in this, and he even keeps a record of notes of these conversations that he has with non-Christians. He also speaks of shepherds and teachers. And oftentimes, shepherd teachers are associated with the role of elders in the life of a church. Those who are called to be overseers. Those who are called to teach sound doctrine and refute false doctrine. As I said, the common thread among these leadership roles is strong ability to articulate and apply the gospel. But we need to pay careful attention to what Paul says about Christ's gift of leaders to the church. He did not say that Christ gives these leaders to the church to do the work of the ministry. 
Instead, he said, he, Christ gives these gifts of leaders to the church to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So who are the saints? When Paul uses the word saint, he is referring to everyone who believes in Jesus. If you are a Christian, then you are counted among the saints. And if you are counted among the saints, then you have a responsibility to do the work of the ministry. God has given you the Holy Spirit. And he has given you spiritual gifts so that you can minister to other believers. And most importantly, the believers in your local church. Brothers and sisters, the Lord wants to use you to minister to other believers. The work of the ministry is not reserved for a select few. The work of the ministry is the responsibility of every member. And you do not need someone to give you a specific title or a specific role in order to do so. Whether you might be among those whom are considered leaders or not, there is nothing stopping you from doing the work of the ministry. I gave the example of Aaron Wartes earlier, who's particularly gifted in the work of evangelism. He doesn't have a title of chief evangelists. He doesn't have a specific evangelism ministry that is formalized in the life of the church. Yet he leads by example in the way that he does evangelism. And if you spend time with him, you might be inspired and encouraged to do evangelism yourself, to grow in this area. And if you talk with him about his work in evangelism, you might actually learn helpful ways to engage non-Christians in the work of evangelism. In other words, if you spend time with him, you just might find yourself being equipped to do the work of the ministry in regard to evangelism. The point being, you don't need a specific title, you don't need a specific role to be faithful to do what God has called you to do. And that is not a critique of the formal organized ministries of our church. Those serve a wonderful purpose. We have numerous wonderful ministries of the church. And we do not establish these ministries just so that we can have more ministries or more programs. We are intentional to organize these ministries for the sake of proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, and equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. I have the joy of leading the student ministry in the life of the church. I thoroughly enjoy the opportunity, the opportunities that we, the student ministry leaders, have to minister the gospel to these students in an organized and formal setting. Similarly, we have wonderful women's ministry, wonderful men's ministry, a road group ministry, kids' ministry. We are intentional with these ministries to minister the gospel and to create space and opportunities for people to grow in Christ and minister the gospel one to another. If you're not connected to any of our ministries, we would encourage you to do so. They are helpful ways for you to grow in Christ and to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. And while our ministries serve a wonderful purpose, we also desire to see ministry take place in informal settings. We hope that ministry will take place in the context of those ministries I described, 
as well as informally through the relationships that we build with one another. We hope that ministry will take place when two members get together for a cup of coffee or go for a walk or when someone invites someone else into their home and provides warm and loving hospitality. We pray that ministry will be taking place throughout the week in a wide variety of contexts. And for what purpose? For the purpose of building up the body of Christ. You are called to do the work of the ministry in order to help build up the church. Are you a builder? How does the Lord want to use you to help build up the church? Are you intentionally looking for opportunities to use the gifts that God has given you, the resources God has given you, the opportunities God has given you to build up his church? That is his desire for you. One problem that exists in the church in the U.S. today is that some Christians approach the local church with a consumer mindset. In other words, some people will make a decision about whether they're going to attend a particular church or become a member of a particular church based on their own preferences. Do I I like the music, the style of the music? Do they have the the particular programs that I want? Do they do the the programs that I want in, in the way that I want? Do the people of the church have similar interests as me? No, I'm not talking about using biblical discernment to make a decision about whether you should become a member of a particular church, you should look at certain things such as the doctrine of the church, the teaching of the church, whether or not the church seems to take the Bible seriously and try to honor Christ by submitting to his word and all these things. A a Christian should use discernment when making a decision to join a local church. I'm not critiquing that, of course, but I'm critiquing the consumer mindset whereby a Christian is focused on what he or she will get and whether or not a particular church fits their preferences. The consumer mindset is more likely to lead a member to become a complainer rather than a builder. And you can't be both. You can't be a consumer complainer and a builder. And I just want to encourage you To pray that God will give you the heart, the attitude, the mindset of a builder. Someone who intentionally looks for opportunities to build up the church. Pray that your focus will be not on what you get, but on what you give. It's not that we should not all benefit from being a member of a church. We should. We should all receive good things from becoming a member. There should be a good benefit. There should be encouragement. There should be strength. There should be accountability. All those good things should come. But when we focus on how we can give and how we can build up more so than on what we receive, then far more people will benefit. Far more people will receive. The church will be better off. We are all called to build up the church by doing the work of the ministry. How are you looking to build up the church? How are you looking to do the work of the ministry? That is 
our responsibility. The next question is, how do you fulfill your responsibility? Well, in our covenant, we use the phrases care for, watch over, admonish, and plead. And one of the ways we do this is found in verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 4. In verse 14, Paul wrote that the goal is that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Of course, he wasn't referring to our age when he spoke of no longer being children, but he was referring to spiritual maturity. And while we do want to have childlike faith, we do not want to remain childish in regards to our spiritual maturity. Paul characterized spiritual immaturity as being tossed around, as being gullible to believe false doctrine and susceptible to being deceived and led astray. Just as spiritual immaturity was a problem for the church in Ephesus that Paul needed to address, so too spiritual immaturity is a real problem for every local church, including ours. Spiritual maturity versus spiritual immaturity is not a matter of how long a person has been a Christian. A person could be a Christian their whole lives and not grow in spiritual maturity. A person might only be a Christian for a short time, but might exhibit wonderful growth in spiritual maturity. It's not a matter of how long you've been a Christian. It's a matter of being rooted and grounded in God's Word. When we are not rooted and grounded in God's Word, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are susceptible to being influenced by someone or something more than we are influenced and shaped by Jesus. We have many powerful influences in our lives. Perhaps the powerful influences are family members or friends, co-workers or bosses, social media, news media, political figures. We can name all kinds of powerful influences in our lives, but when these influences distract us or pull us away from Jesus, it produces spiritual immaturity in us. What we see in our passage is that when Paul identified this problem in Ephesus, he called upon the whole church to address the problem. In verse 15, he said, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. We, the church, are to grow up in every way into Christ. We are called to grow in Jesus, to become more like Jesus, so that our thoughts, attitudes, words, and deeds are shaped by Jesus. And one of the important ways we grow in this way and help others to grow in this way is by speaking the truth in love. The original Greek phrase in that verse actually makes no direct reference to our speech. One commentator noted that a more literal translation of the phrase is truthing in love. Truthing in love probably includes speaking, which is why we read that in our English translations. It probably includes speaking, but also maintaining, living, and doing the truth. Truth and love are essential to our growth in Christ, and truth and love are essential to helping others grow in Christ. Again, John Stott writes, 
Thank God there are those in the contemporary church who are determined at all costs to defend and uphold God's revealed truth. But sometimes they are conspicuously lacking in love. When they think they smell heresy, their nose begins to twitch, their muscles ripple, and the light of battle enters their eye. They seem to enjoy nothing more than a fight. Others make the opposite mistake. They are determined at all costs to maintain and exhibit brotherly love, but in order to do so, are prepared even to sacrifice the central truths of revelation. Both these tendencies are unbalanced and unbiblical. Truth becomes hard if it is not softened by love. Love becomes soft if it is not strengthened by truth. The apostle calls us to hold the two together, which should not be difficult for spirit-filled believers since the Holy Spirit is himself the spirit of truth. And his first fruit is love. There is no other route than this to a fully mature Christian unity. As members of this truth, we need to care for and watch over one another with truth and love. We must diligently seek to understand the truth of God's word and humbly apply it to our lives and help our brothers and sisters apply it to their lives. And our motivation must be love. In love, we must seek to build our brothers and sisters up in Christ by helping them apply the truth of God's word to their hearts and lives. This is an important way we do the work of the ministry. And oftentimes, this happens in normal, everyday conversations. Sometimes the best thing you can do for a brother or sister in Christ is listen. Sometimes we need to merely listen. And we need to demonstrate empathy. We need to mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. Sometimes we simply need to listen, but other times we need to speak. The question is, are you prepared to minister the truth of God's word when an opportunity arises in a conversation? Perhaps you're having a conversation with a brother or sister in Christ who is struggling with temptation. Maybe the Lord will use you to remind your brother and sister in Christ of what we read in 1 Corinthians 10.13, which says, No temptation has ever overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to, uh, that you may be able to endure it. Maybe just being able to point a brother or sister to that verse will help them in their battle with temptation. Maybe you'll have a conversation with a brother or sister in Christ who is feeling discouraged, disheartened, disconnected from the Lord. And maybe the Lord will use you to point him or her to Romans chapter 8, verses 38 through 39, which says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Maybe your brother or sister just needs to be reminded of that truth, that the best thing we have, the best thing we have is the love of God in Christ Jesus, and no one and nothing can take that from us. Maybe you'll have a conversation with a brother or sister in Christ who's dealing with anxiety and fear regarding present or future circumstances. Maybe the Lord will use you to point them to Romans 8.28, which says, And we know that for those who love God, 
all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Maybe the Lord will use you to remind him or her that even when we don't understand, even when it's hard, somehow, some way, the Lord is working these circumstances for our good. My hope in sharing these examples with you is that you will see that any Christian can do the work of the ministry by encouraging and strengthening other believers with the truth of God's word. Pastor Mike Bullmore tells the time years ago when he began to notice that he began to have a little bit of an edge in his tone toward his wife. He recalls going home from work one day, long commute home, 45 minutes, and as he was going home, he was looking forward to having dinner. He was ready, looking forward to coming home, dinner being ready, and just being able to enjoy that. But when he arrived home, dinner wasn't ready. Instead, his wife was on the phone with her mother. And he could sense himself being a little annoyed with this. And when she got off the phone, he said, couldn't that wait until later? And he knew that his tone was not Christ-honoring. And he decided to share this with one of his friends, one of his brothers in Christ, and just a conversation they were having. And his friend listened to him, and he said, remember what James says in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2? He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. He said that in that moment, when his friend shared that verse with him, he said it was like the word of God was like a light shining down right into my heart. He said God used that. His friend who loved him and cared for him listened carefully what he said and graciously pointed him to God's word. And God's word convicted him of his sin. It helped to lead him to repentance in the way that he was sinning against his wife and just having this unkind tone toward her. It reminds me of what Paul wrote in Galatians 6.1, which says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Keep watch. Restore those with a spirit of gentleness. We need to watch over each other by speaking the truth in love when someone is caught up in sin so the person may be restored. We need to speak the truth in love when someone is discouraged so that we might encourage and strengthen them. We need to speak the truth in love to help one another grow in Christ. We also need to minister and care for one another through our deeds. Doing the work of the ministry includes speaking the truth, but it also includes caring for one another in practical ways. You can do the work of the ministry by providing a meal for someone, helping to, to watch their kids, providing warm and loving hospitality in your home, praying for someone, sending someone a, a text message. There are all kinds of ways that the Lord can use you in simple and practical ways to build up His church. As a member of this church, I want to encourage you to care for 
watch over, admonish and plead with fellow members for their growth in Christ. And we need to do this with humility. We need to do this with gentleness. We need to do this with love. We need to do the work of the ministry with truth and love. Finally, what is the fruit of fulfilling our responsibility? What good fruit comes when we, the members of a local church, are faithful to do the work of the ministry with truth and love for the sake of building up the church? In Ephesians 4, we are given a beautiful picture of what takes place in the church when together we are faithful in our responsibility to do the work of the ministry with truth and love. In verses 15 and 16, we read, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul's vision for the church, inspired by the Holy Spirit, involved every member joined together under the headship of Jesus, using the gifts God has given us to do the work of the ministry so that the church will grow and mature and build itself up in love. Don't we all want to be a part of a local church that is described in that way? What a joy. What a blessing to be a part of a body that is growing together, that is maturing in Jesus, that actively seeks to bless one another, encourage one another, build each other up. What a joy and a privilege to be part of a local church that is growing together in Jesus Christ. The reality is every local church has problems. That's true because every local church is full of sinners who are led by sinners. We are sinful people. We will sin against each other. We will fail. We will fall short. But God is gracious to us and He is kind. And He is the one who will use us to do the work of the ministry, to build each other up, to be a blessing. So we might grow together and so that we might become an increasingly loving community of believers who love Jesus more than anyone or anything else in the world, who love one another and seek to do good to one another, who love our neighbors in the community and who even love our enemies. Jesus wants to use us to this end. And as we Grow in this way. He who is the head of this body is glorified. He is glorified among us. Brothers and sisters, let's pray and work to this end. May God use us to this end. May each of us recognize our responsibility to do the work of the ministry to do the work of the ministry in truth and love for the sake of building up the church. Let's pray that we would all actively work to build up the church 
It doesn't matter if you think that your contribution is small or big. It glorifies God. And it strengthens our church. So let's pray that the Lord will use us to this end. And as we do so, we will all enjoy the blessing of being a part of a local church described in this way. Christ will be glorified. And it will strengthen our witness in the world that others might see and know Jesus. We all have a responsibility to care for, to watch over, to plead, to admonish one another. We all have a responsibility to do the work of the ministry in truth and love for the sake of building up the, Christ, uh, the church. Let's pray the Lord will use us to this end. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you that you have adopted us into your family. You are our Father. Jesus is our elder brother. We have one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray that you would help us to understand our responsibility to do the work of the ministry. And we pray that we would be faithful to do so. We pray that we would carry out the work of the ministry in truth and love. We pray that we would use the opportunities you give us to build up the church. We pray that we will grow and mature together. And we pray that this church family will continue to grow in love. We thank you for this. We do pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue to worship the Lord together through singing.